Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to you from Sydney. This week, we have an extra inspirational guest who has journeyed from Hungary to an Austrian refugee camp to Australia, where she has been the CEO, director and a senior executive in public and private listed companies for 27 years. Her most recent role was the CEO of an ASX-listed beauty and wellness company. Her name is Maria Halas, and in addition to being an industry leader, she is also a fan of Doja Cat. So we're going to kick off with an appropriate song by this dope artist called Woman. Feminist Fridays. Hi, Sarah. It's wonderful to be here. It's a pleasure. So I'd like to start by asking where you grew up and what your early influences were. I understand you're originally from Hungary. I've been to Budapest and I loved it. Where in Hungary are you from? Well, I am from a town called Kaba, which is about 200 kilometers from Budapest towards the east. So it's very close to the Romanian and the Ukrainian border. In fact, about 100 kilometers from the Ukrainian border. Wow. 
Well, there's a lot happening in that part of the world at the moment. Absolutely. Obviously, the Hungary being part of NATO, there are, you know, armed forces in that region, you know, securing the border. Mm. Okay, so let's get back to you. I understand that you ran away from home at just 18 after a family tragedy and landed in an Austrian refugee camp. Can you tell us what that was like? I understand you recall the experience as being traumatic. Well, I was very young and I came from a very protected family environment and landed in a refugee camp. And the first 10 days, like as you would be, I was in isolation. Mm-hmm. And the isolation was on level 9 and 10 of a high-rise building. Oh my gosh. And we had on one floor, we had men and women, children together. And um, some of those people were there for two years at a time where they could not come down from that level nine or level 10. Wow. We had one bathroom, one toilet, no doors on anything for men and women. So you quickly had to develop friends who could kind of protect you and you had to go Mm. to the bathroom or you had to have a shower. So that was a very traumatic start to my, uh, you know, running away from home experience. Yeah. I suppose what happened next was you moved to Australia. Is that correct? So, well, I spent 10 days in isolation up on level nine. Wow. And then, of course, that's the period when they establish who you are. And then you come down and you spend time in a refugee camp. And you obviously are, are freer to move around then. So we we, see, we hear a lot about refugees these days in Australia. And, mm. of course, we see the footage of our, you know, deplorable environment where they're held at the moment. I think I was a lot more fortunate at that time, although there was no internet in the 1980s when I was in a refugee camp. But I was allocated to a lovely um, country town in Austria called Mönchkirchen. Uh-huh. And because I spoke German, I was able to translate. You know, I had a relatively easy life compared to most other refugees who were there. And also, I somehow got really, really lucky because people with children were waiting there for years for permanent residency in countries where they would be able to live. Whereas within three months, I got a one-way ticket to Australia and permanent residency. So I was very, very fortunate. Wow. And how about your family? Are you in touch with them still at all or are they still in Hungary? Oh, absolutely. In fact, when my parents, um, I mean, I actually ran away from home, literally. Mm-hmm. But when, when I came down from isolation after 10 days, I contacted my family and I let them know where I was. Okay. And my parents came after me to Austria and tried to convince me to return to Hungary. Uh-huh. But when they realized that it's not going to happen, they basically offered any help that they can give me. And so, you know, that lot of love that I grew up with, I just started to experience again. And, um, you know, we've we've had a very good relationship with my family ever since. Oh, that's good to hear. So you, I understand, once you got to Australia, you landed in Western Australia and you started studying science and also did an MBA. Were you always drawn to science and or business? What was the inspiration behind doing this? 
Well, I, I was studying medicine in Hungary. So when oh, when okay. one thing I did know, I didn't want to be a doctor, but I was really interested <laughs> in diseases. Okay. And I was specifically interested in genetics. And okay. that was, you know, not long after Watson and Crick discovered the, the double helix. Yeah. Suddenly science scientists figured out how proteins are made. So that whole genetic area was really, really fascinating. So I wanted to be a geneticist. So when I when I arrived in Perth, the first thing was that, that that I'd done was I went to university and said I want to study I want to study biology, and so that's what I've done. And when did you pick up English? So I didn't speak English um, um, in school or didn't learn it at all. Yeah. Um, but when I decided to want to come to Australia um, on my way mm-hmm. out of Hungary, I started learning the language. So I had the. Um, I learned it from a book on, on my wow. way to Australia. My goodness. I've learned aspects of German and French from having lived in France and been to Germany many times. Um, but I don't think I could imagine just learning from a book. That's an amazing achievement. So it was really funny. The book was very Hungarian English. Okay. And one of the stories was that you had to learn. And, uh, and the, the first sentence was, in England, the garden gates are always open. So I still <laughs> remember the first sentence in that book. So it was very funny. Well, you can see that there was not much practicality in what I've learned. But as soon as I learned it, obviously, I, I was able to speak with people, you know, watch television and, you know, very quickly had to learn the language. Wow. Let's talk about your career after that. I understand you've spent 27 years in the biotechnology world, securing groundbreaking tech that has changed the beauty and wellness industry. Can you tell us about your career journey and some of those groundbreaking achievements? What inspired the transition to the beauty and wellness industry? So the first 20 years of that 29 years that I've spent in biotech really was strictly biotechnology, developing drugs for diseases like diabetes, inflammatory diseases. And I have been involved with many different uh, drug development programs in that process. Started in Perth, and that was an insulin mimetic drug that we were working on for diabetes. Um, A lot of drug delivery programs where we were trying to improve existing drugs to make them more effective. So I've got quite a varied technical background in biotechnology. When I first uh, um, took over the the running of this company 15 years ago, Energenics, which was called Medical Therapies at the time, then we we started to work on a a drug called Mitkine inhibitors or a a group of drugs, Mitkine inhibitors. And these are all for inflammatory diseases. So we've done that and we've got that technology to a point that we we recently actually sold the licensing company. So during that process, I also saw a lot of very interesting technologies. And one of the things that you realize when you look at drug development is Traditional Western medicine is not the answer for everything. Mm-hmm. And I have been developing a lot of interest in healthy lifespan, longevity. And it has become clear to me very early on that, you know, once you're already sick, that's a little bit too late. Right. And the big component that we need to look at is prevention. Mm. And to, to look at prevention, you have to look at alternative things. And that is, you know, 
in the you know traditionally anti-aging category and you know the anti-aging is like a dirty word but in fact aging is a disease and in fact we should work on anti-aging technologies and so this is really really int- has become my interest so in 2013 we acquired another technology which was inhibiting a protein that made made your hair fall out and it was revolutionary because 30 for 30 years there's been nothing new in the hair growth industry mm-hmm. so we bought the technology, commercialize it and put it on the market. And then today you can buy it in Australia, US or Japan. So that was our most recent project, actually. That's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think mainstream media talks about anti-aging a lot, but people's perception could still be a little bit like, well, it's one of those things that's just eventually going to happen rather than considering a lot of the preventative aspects that you've just talked about. Indeed. And and when you listen to scientists who have been working on longevity technology for many years, and um, one of them is Professor David Sinclair at Harvard University, also Hungarian, by the way, so clearly a very good man. Okay. <laughs> but he publi- he's got a, a, a podcast called, called Lifespan, seven, seven uh, podcasts, and I, I warmly recommend that you listen to. And one of the first points that he makes is that biologically, there is no reason for us to age. Mm-hmm. And that Yet, aging has not been recognized as a disease by any country in the world as yet. Mm. Whereas most people die of aging because almost every disease is the disease of aging. Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, all the inflammatory diseases, diabetes. It's all diseases of aging, yet we don't recognize aging as a disease. And so, so long as we can conceptualize, accept that aging is a disease and start really working for technologies to prevent aging or delay the aging process, that's where we can start affecting all those other diseases. Now I'm just starting to get fascinated. What are some of the ways, if we were to break it down into layperson terms, that these sort of technologies can, or these innovations can address aging? So I think there's two group, big groups. Okay. One is preventing aging or slowing down the aging process. And then the other, and there's lots and lots of clinical studies. There are drugs today that are available to do that. And also there are supplements that are available to do that. And I'm happy to have a chat about that Mm -hmm. a bit more. And then the other is reversing aging. Because we are entering now an era where with genetic um, engineering, we can actually start reversing aging. And there are now studies in animals and early clinical studies being planned for drug agents that are specifically targeting genetic uh, material that causes the aging process. So that is probably a bit bit more future, maybe 20 years away. Mm -hmm. But the first part, and that is expanding healthy lifespan and, and delaying the aging process, that is available to all of us today. And the majority of it is available for free. Mm, I think, I mean, my perception is that a lot of the discussion around anti-aging is at that sort of outer level in the way that we appear, treatments, you know, the cosmetic industry, that sort of thing. Um, But there's not necessarily so much that goes on around the aspects that you're talking about. Would you agree? 
Well, I think so. But, you know, how we look is actually really, really important. And recently they've done some studies, very large population studies, that have demonstrated that if you look younger, generally your biological age is younger as well. So there is a relationship between looking younger and being biologically younger. And of course, your chronological age after age 30 is almost not relevant because you really need to look at biological age to, to assess how longevity, you know, is a pot potential for you. So, but I agree with you that we all focus on looks because we are just so looks focused in our society. Yeah. But I mean... For, to, to prevent that biological aging, there are just three or four things that everybody can do. It costs nothing. I mean, one of them is exercise, of course. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest, um, you know, effects that you can have on your aging is remain fit. Mm -hmm. Keep your visceral, visceral fat low. Mm. And that is just a really important um, thing to do. Also, it's, it's great for cortisol, reducing cortisol, which is one of the killer hormones. Mm. The other is a diet. Mm -hmm. And of course, intermittent fasting, um, it's, it's, not, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. So long as you can start affecting autophagy, which is the cleanup of the body. Mm. It's, it's a fantastic tool to, to expand your healthy lifespan. And, you know, these are the things that you can do. And of course, if you're not a smoker, and if you eat a decent diet, the other things that thing that you can do is have a really healthy sleep uh, hygiene. Ah, uh, yes. And you know, so long as you can get around two hours REM, rapid eye movement sleep, mm -hmm. and two hours deep sleep, mm -hmm. pretty much every night, that contributes significantly to mm -hmm. your lifestyle, and it's so important. That's really fascinating. How can someone find out what their biological age is? So there are companies now, yep. um, and um, uh, I can we, we can adjust, um, add that to your your podcast, I'm sure. But there are companies now that that you can send in your blood ah. and saliva, okay, and they will give you a biological age. And what they use mostly is they what they test your DNA and how much it is methylated, and that really just predicts your biological age. And that's one way, and it's it's not quite an relatively easy way of assessing your biological age and it's mm -hmm. available i think it's it's still quite expensive something around 500 dollars i've done it about three or four years ago mm -hmm. and um it's you know maybe it's less expensive now but there are companies who do that for you and then there are other ways that people are now looking at really assessing your biological age but that's the most um, well-accepted scientific way of assessing your biological age really looking at your methylation of your dna I'm super fascinated in this because I I try and look after myself well. I probably didn't get enough sleep last night because I just started my PhD. Um, but, I, you know, I try and eat well, do moderate exercise, sleep well, like you say, not smoke, not drink too much. Um, and also wear a lot of sunscreen and take care of my skincare so I'm very fascinated to find out my bio biological age. We don't talk about my real age, though. <laughs> so the name of the company is Inside Tracker, and you can—I'm sure you can in include uh, that in the in the in your audience for yeah. your audience. But Inside Tracker are actually a company that you can send in. They're, they're American companies, so they'll send you out the test, and you you may have to go to a bath lab to get blood drawn and send it back. Oh, okay. That's some homework for me. Let's talk about the, the last 30 years, you've been a chief executive, director and senior executive in the public and private sphere. What do you think has changed most for women 
in this sort of arena? Um, and what's your personal experience been like? So this morning I had coffee with a colleague of mine that I've known for 20 years. Okay. And we both around the same age and come through the you know, professional careers around the same way. And one thing we, we, we agreed on, and that is today, the behavior that we've experienced going through in the financial services sector consulting would not be tolerated. And it's amazing how much more support there is now for sexual harassment, people who experience sexual harassment in the workplace, for people who are held back in the workplace for um, for, for, for just purely because of, of them being female. But I think that covert sexism, the, the, the inability for women to really have equal participation in the in the workplace is still not there. Mm. So there is, you know, there's much more to do. There's an enormous development and those overt, horrible, catcalling, sexual harassment style um, behaviors are no longer tolerated. And that's amazing. Mm. But then when you look at um, how we select um, people for senior jobs, look at, for example, STEM. I mean, it's an area where we've got so many talented young girls coming mm. through early on in their career in science and engineering mm. yet you know once you look at senior roles there's a very small percentage of them end up being senior managers you know on the board of companies or CEOs mm. why is that it's not because they've got children because literally that shouldn't be a reason there is definitely an, an a bias there that we still have to address when half of the population is not getting half the opportunities yes I agree I mean I think when you look at how the numbers stack up, when you look at, I've done some research myself into women in leadership positions in Australia. And when you look at women in government, in the private sector, in the public sector, there's still inequality between those who are in leadership positions compared to men. So whilst it is true that true that attitudes have changed, and I think what's acceptable behaviour has changed. When it comes down to the number crunching aspect, like you've just been saying, we st I still feel that we could be doing better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, literally half of the population is female. Do you see yeah. half of uh, ASX listed company CEOs females? I don't, you know. In mm. fact, that kind of number is going backwards, not forward. Exactly. And the same in the political arena. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So I think we would still have a bias. We still need to deal with it. We need to be aware of it. And and one of the things that we can do, particularly as senior women, is be sponsors of that these young, talented, mm. enthusiastic women. Not just tell them what to do, but give them a hand, put them in touch, put totally. them forward to the, for the roles. And, you know, not just sit there and watch them, but really hold their hand and push them forward. And we must do that. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. And I find when I work with women who are, younger than men who are just starting out on their careers. So I learned so much from them, you know, in that sort of mentoring process. They can teach you a lot of, of things that are unique to their experience that you might not know already. So I think it's very valuable. It's a two-way thing. Oh, absolutely. Mentoring is a two-way thing. Yeah. 
and what I'm also talking about is a little bit about sponsoring, which okay. is really going beyond that and giving them the opportunity and putting them forward to the role as opposed to just, you know, discussing what could get them the role. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that it's really, really important for us to step forward from mentoring. But I agree with you 100%. I learned so much from my team, mm-hmm. um, you know, my uh, 21-year-old social media, um, digital media person. I mean, she is is amazing a real star and I learned so much from her yeah you know it's um creativity the the different thinking the fresh eyes absolutely two-way street as far as mentoring is concerned I agree yeah let's just go back to where you came from and your experience in the refugee camp I understand that you haven't forgotten that where do you source your inner strength from and how, I guess, do you give back to the world after you had that initial experience? So, look, I, I have... I have taken inspiration from my father, and I tell you a quick story. Um, um, they sometimes come, uh, used to come to visit. My father actually died four years ago, but they used to come to visit us in Australia. My daughter was eleven, well past the Santa Claus day. But what what they brought her as a gift a little light up Santa Claus that had a better in it, uh-huh. and my father gave it to her, and she very politely opened it up and smiled. Thank you so much, Granddad. But then my father turned it off side down, switched on the little light, looked at it, and with the eyes of a two-year-old started laughing at it. <laughs> so he did so much joy of this light-up little Santa Claus. And we always remember that that is not the world. It's your eyes that make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's not what happens around you, but how you view it. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that you retain that that um, enthusiasm for life, that positivity. And, you you know, then you, you don't really, I mean, Terrible things will happen to everyone. Mm. And frankly, in a refugee camp, you know, people were there for two, three years with children, yeah. mental health issues, sexual harassment, sexual violence. It was all things that was, was happening on a daily basis, very little control or toleration. And I personally had several of lucky escapes myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can focus on that or you can just really focus on the fact that you really assist people and come out of that and look at the world as full of opportunities. And I, when I landed in Perth, I felt like the luckiest person on earth and so ever since I just um, you know wherever I can I try to facilitate or assist. I think in a similar vein to that one of the things that I practice every day is a gratitude list just write down it's usually involving my cat and (laughs) (laughs) coffee or a cup of tea or the very simple things in life that you can be grateful for the love of your friends and family you know an education that you're really passionate about that's something that I do that I find really helps me to have that balance and that joy and that enthusiasm and excitement um, despite sometimes facing challenges, as we all do, some people to more degrees than others. But In fact, there's been scientific studies on that, that people who practice gratitude, they tend to be a lot more successful in life. Yeah. So a lot of the successful people, a large majority of them, actually practice daily gratitude. So there's a lot, a lot to say about ah. gratitude. So I'll keep doing it. Okay, <laughs> I will. So one of the questions I want to ask all of my guests is, as this is a feminist radio segment and podcast, how has feminism been a part of your journey? And 
just to be clear, I'm an intersectional feminist. So I believe feminism is about equality for all, not just about women's rights. Well, you just summed up what feminism is for me. Feminism is about equality and it's about everyone. Absolutely. And, you know, it... um, Everywhere you go, you see inequality. And if you can put your two cents in and you can you can contribute a little bit, you that becomes your daily practice. I see that all the time in my work amongst the people that I used to employ. Obviously, I recently left my job. Mm. But, um, you know, over the past 30 years, 29 years, I've employed many, many people. It was really important to me that um, equal opportunity is given to people. And as I mentioned earlier, how come that half of the population doesn't get the opportunity? But that goes also to, to of course, um, disabled people. It goes to uh, culturally disadvantaged groups. When you look at our Asian population, you know, they're not getting the same exposure in corporate Australia as, they, as the, the um, middle-aged white male. <laughs> so, you know, all those things are, are really important that we're very consciously aware of. We provide those opportunities. Those who have the right and opportunity to do that, they do so. Mm. Equality. It's a big, big value of mine. So I'm just curious, what are you planning to do next? Or are you going to have a little break or have you got something else on the cards? Well, um, after 15 years of running a public company, where it's 24-7, 365 days a year, I... I'm determined to take a short break, Yeah, but I cannot help my enthusiasm. And there's so many amazing things that you can do in the world. So I think I've been busier now in the last three weeks than I was in the previous 15 years. So look, I am looking forward to the next amazing challenge. Uh, There's so many opportunities and people, but I do not plan to do anything specific just in a little while. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoy your break. Um, it's been an amazing segment. I've just got one final question, which is where can my listeners find you, follow you and connect with you if they want to support your journey and the amazing work that you're doing? So feel free to plug a website, social media profiles or anything else you'd like to hear. I will be letting people know what I'm doing on LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn profile is linkedin.com forward slash I and forward slash Maria Halas, my full name. Mm -hmm. So that's really easy. And um, my Instagram handle is Maria J Halas. So those are the two places where at the moment you can see what I'm doing. Okay. And I, in my Instagram, for example, I do, um, I, I do start talking about a little bit about longevity yeah you know watch that space there'll be more of that i'm very fascinated i'll be connecting with you (laughs) thank (laughs) you that would be wonderful (laughs) once again thank you so much for joining me today maria thank you sarah it's been an absolute pleasure my my pleasure as well well we have served you another entrepreneurial episode of feminist fridays for this week but before you head off Here's a track by Megan the Stallion and Dua Lipa called Sweetest Pie because Maria and I have just given you a bite of some sweet pie right here. You've never been to heaven, have you? Ooh, it's the ride of your life. Hold on, cause 
but I'm cold every season. Louis got that pipe, let him bust it till it's leak. Yeah, booty like a pillow, he could use it while they sleeping. Look, don't be going through my phone, cause that's the old me. Ain't the only one trying to be my one and only. Real thick, moving slow, that body like. Be a player, but for making it, cutting the whole team. That body, looking nice. I got cake and I know he wanna slice. I wish it, wish it would try to put me on ice. I ain't never had to chase in my life. I want that nasty, that freaky stuff. Live under my bed and keep hate up. That handsome girl to let him eat me up. Uh, 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 uh. Ooh, it's the ride of your life. Hold on, cause baby, I might, I might just give you a bite of the sweetest pie. Me and Dua Lipa finna get the party lit. 